0: Living a life true to yourself takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage and you've got to break through so much resistance and it does take a lot of work and it's easier to quit but, oh, my goodness, when you get through the other side of it like I do now and live completely on my own terms, it's such a gift of freedom to ourselves.
1: I believe that the opposite of depression
2: Thanks to GoodRx for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. GoodRx is a free and easy to use service that allows you to instantly compare prices for your prescriptions and find discounts on your medications. To start saving up to 80% on your prescriptions today, go to goodrx.com dreamjob. Also, thanks to Zen Business. Starting a business doesn't mean you have to be an expert at everything. Zen Business makes the business stuff easier so you can stay focused on your passion. Get started today for as low as $49 at zenbusiness.com slash dreamjob. And thanks to Purple. Only Purple mattresses have the super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. Get 10% off any order of $200 or more by going to purple.com slash dreamjob10. Promo code dreamjob10, terms apply. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So if you can hear my voice sounds a little scratchy. Um, There's been a lot of big tears over the last few weeks. Um, It's fascinating because the episode you're going to hear today is one of the most important episodes we've ever done. One of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my entire life And what's fascinating is that I had this conversation with Bronnie weeks before I know what I know now. And what I know now is that my father has been diagnosed with AML leukemia and I've just been, you know, when you're in that place, we've been in that place and it's just unbelievably touching because this conversation you're about to hear is so profound and so beautiful. And I'm in some ways living, living some of that conversation right now with my dad, with my stepmom, with my sister, with my mom, as we enter this chapter. And I want to give a shout out to my dad. I want to give a shout out to my stepmom. I want to give a shout out to my sister and to my mom. You know, I'll tell you a couple things real quick, which is that we have not been together as a family for a holiday since before my parents got divorced when I was a kid. And this year, for whatever reason, my sister said, I think we should all do it together. And so we did. My mom was there, my dad, my stepmom, and it was, it was beautiful. Everybody was really present. And a couple of days after Thanksgiving, my dad was admitted to the hospital and things changed. And we decided not to go back to LA. We decided to stay here because this is where we need to be. And I've spent a lot of really beautiful moments with my dad. And I'm completely blown away by him and how I have not heard him complain and how loving he is and how much he wants to use all of our time. He just wants to have whatever kind of moments he can to be supportive to me. That's what he's focused on. And my stepmom is so unbelievable with him. And my mom's my mom sees it. And she said, Yeah, you're right. My stepmom has given my dad so much unconditional love over the last 20 plus years that he has really he's really gotten a chance to show up as the person that he really always wanted to be. And um I've just had so many beautiful moments and painful moments too. You know, it's interesting because my dad was at Boca Regional Hospital when this all happened a couple weeks ago. And when I went there to visit, I started to cry when I pulled in because the last time I had been at that hospital, I was four years old and I had fallen in our house. And I can remember my dad holding the ice on my face and driving me to the hospital and waiting with me in the waiting room and insisting that they wait for a plastic surgeon so I wouldn't have a noticeable scar on my face. And I hadn't remembered that moment, but as soon as I drove into the parking lot, I could feel that day and how he protected me that day. And it's amazing on our journeys, all the different colors of the spectrum that we feel for our parents. And when you sit in moments like these moments we're in, all that you feel is the most pure, intense love. And it's so beautiful. And it just levels you. And this conversation you're going to hear today with Brawny, it's so life-giving. It's life-giving, especially in December, as we look towards a new year, because we can get so distracted from the life we really, really want to be living. And this conversation can help us to intentionally and purposely show up for the life the way we want it to be. Bronnie is incredible. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her now. So Bronnie Ware is an internationally bestselling author. She's a TEDx speaker, songwriter. She spent a lot of time working with terminally ill patients in the last weeks of their life. And she started a blog to talk about what she learned from the experience. She wrote an article. It was the top five regrets of the dying and it was shared and shared and shared and shared. It was read by over three million people just in the first year, and it evolved into her best-selling book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing. In that book, she shares her own personal story, applying the lessons of those nearing their death to her own life and sheds some light on the possibility that we can die, and yet there can be this incredible, peace and clarity. Uh, Her book was published in over 30 languages, and there's even a movie in the pipeline. And Bronnie went on to write a few more books, including Your Year for Change and Bloom. So you definitely want to check out her work because there's such powerful wisdom in there, and it will really help you to live your life as you really, really want to. I'm so grateful that Bronnie came with a fully open heart to share what she has journey through. This is truly one of the most impactful conversations we've had on the podcast. I'm so grateful to share it with you because life truly is so unbelievable and we get this chance to be here. And I'm hoping that especially as we sort of end this year and look towards next year, that this conversation is going to really help you live with purpose and intention deliberately, the way you really want to live. All right, without further ado, please welcome the incredible Bronny Ware.
3: So Bronny, right before we started recording, I told you how important you are to me and so many people. And your work has, it's just set off like an atom bomb of wisdom and the current that has come from the opening that you created with this truth that you put in the world and you continue to put in the world through all of your work I'm just want to say thank you for doing that
0: oh it's it's an honor I'm I'm really just a messenger of the lessons I learned so thank you for connecting with them and sharing it on so I know you
3: through one of your books, you've written several books, but um, the top five regrets of the dying. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, but before we go into your whole body of work, I am curious who you were that led you to even ask those questions. Like what was your journey like that you were in a place where you were really curious about how people reflected on their life?
0: Okay. Um, I was a mess, to be honest. I was a seeker. I had always been a seeker. I was already a regular meditator, like a daily meditator. But I'd come from a lot of trauma in, in my upbringing. And I was just trying to find a way forward in a world that made sense to me because the way I was living and in the world that I was living in it it wasn't making sense at all and so I'd come from a banking background a pretty conservative background in some ways my parents were conservative but also not conservative politically just um, Monday to Friday people and yeah but they were also really creative my father was a radio announcer, guitarist and songwriter and he'd met my mum when she was a singer. So we had this sort of influence and so I'd gone straight off and done the banking game and the Monday to Friday but it just didn't fit me. So I was sending out a lot of prayers and requests to life that I wanted a job with heart and besides that requirement the only other things were no high heels, no stockings, no makeup. I just wanted to be where I could just be myself completely and oh and and that I didn't have to sell insurance to people which is what was starting to happen in the banking game Mm -hmm. so when I started looking after dying people I had taken on that job because it was a job with heart it had no high heels no corporate uniforms all of that and uh, and I was a seeker I was really doing a lot of healing and trying to find my way forward to a life that would bring me peace and just to find a way that I knew through meditation that there was a place of peace within me, but I didn't want it to be so separate from my physical life because, you know, there was just so much healing still to do then.
3: I'm I'm smiling in just like a recognition of a soul that really totally understands the listener of this show. Yeah, I mean, that's why I started something called Don't Keep Your Day Job is because... I just started to believe that so many adults were so unhappy and I was feeling that way. And I knew there had to be a way to show up every day and feel alive. And um, I didn't really know that you ever had part of your story where you were a banker. I mean, to think of you doing that when you have this unbelievable capacity to hold space for someone else to access something they so need to say is just such a round, round hole square peg <laughs> thing. So yeah, yeah, I'm like smiling. Was. I'm just smiling at like, you know, it's amazing how souls can just start off in one place and then find our way home. So thankfully you listened to that, that whisper and then did something really, really quite gorgeous that most people do not have do not have the skills to do which is to sit beside someone in the hardest moments and so you did and how long until you said there's a book here
0: oh well i looked after dying people for 8 years and i didn't have any idea that there was a book i was writing in in my journal because a lot of the time i spent beside their bed they were asleep and so I was sorting out my own life and journaling just to to find my own way forward and we were having these huge conversations and, and really I was just, just doing my own healing and, and letting go of all the parts of myself that weren't serving me. So I was just writing. And I was also trying to get going as a singer-songwriter at the time and I didn't like being on, on stage in pubs and everything but I had this calling to share my message. And so there were a couple of occasions when patients actually asked me to share the message onwards where they've said, don't let my learning be in vain, please pass this on, make sure people you love, make sure others learn from my mistakes. But at that time I still considered that just as my friends or I might write it into a song or two. I had no idea until over a year after I left Dying People that it was actually a book because I, I, yeah, I I just didn't.
3: My whole body, when you just say that, it's just, it's such a mic drop. I mean, the experience and you doing it with no agenda other than to do that work. And then the fact that people had, that awareness that they said no please pass this on and then eventually you realize oh I'm really going to pass this on
0: well yeah even that I didn't realize entirely I I just after I finished working with the dying I'd set up a songwriting program in a women's jail and so I was teaching songwriting you're so amazing (laughs) things you think to do it was just this random idea I'd never been a teacher I'd never walked inside a jail but I wanted to be where there was hope and I wanted to make money from my music from music and so I found I managed to get some philanthropic funding and set up this program and a music magazine asked me to write an article about how that had happened and then I thought why aren't I writing more I love writing I used to always have pen friends when I was a kid I just never saw writing as As who I was and then I thought I'll start a blog what do I write about and I had besides that one article about teaching in the jail and so I even googled good blog topics this is when blogs were sort of well before podcasts and stuff and it was all about like write about whatever um, celebrities, you know, issue is going on, and you'll get loads of followers. And I thought, oh gosh, no, we've got to write with integrity here. And so then I just let it go, and I was sitting there the next day on the veranda, and and I just got this really clear thing: write what you know. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I've just finished working with dying people, and it was their regrets that have shaped me the most. I'll write a, a blog about that. And I wrote that, and then about six months, six, eight months later the blog, um, took off and that led to the book. So yeah, I, I didn't see any of it coming, but it's I just put out a lot of prayers. Yeah. I want
3: everyone to like, take out a highlighter and circle <laughs> what you just said, because we all know what happened with that blog. The whole world knows what happened with that blog. Mm-hmm. And to think that there are people sitting right now, listening to this, who have their equivalent of that blog inside of them. And they don't yet know that that's that. And they're thinking to themselves, I I don't know, I guess I should Google what what a good blog topic is, or I could just write what I know. And I guess this would just be a cool exercise. And then the whole world is standing still having read it. (laughs) And you're thinking, oh, that's fascinating because it was just this blog post and to think how many people have something they know right now. And I want them to know that this is so important because people look up to you and they should. And we think that the people that we admire and look up to had some map before they began. No, you began without knowing what the next part of the turn looks like in this forest and you just kept walking through this forest so it's just such an incredible thing to even hear that part you know that part of the story so
0: yeah. but you also don't know the seeds you got, you sow because I put that blog out and then it didn't take off until I was ready I, I believe I write a lot in my third book about timing and readiness that When I finished working with dying people and then I taught in the jail, I burned out and I went through depression pretty full on. I'd never had any experience of it. I ended up suicidal. And it was only when I came through that and said to life, I'm bored of being sad, I'm ready to get on with it now, show me a way forward that isn't singing in pubs, that's when the blog took off. So we don't know the seeds we sow but we have to sow them regardless and keep Growing into our readiness, and then they'll, you know, they'll bloom in their own time. So there's always that as well, because often people can put a lot of effort into something and it doesn't take off straight away and they think they're going in the wrong direction. But maybe it's just they're still growing into the readiness. And when the timing lines up, boom, then it's going to take off. Oh, that is such a beautiful
3: point. Wow. I love that so much. I could do a whole podcast with you on just that topic. <laughs> um, but since this, is only the beginning of what, what wound up happening, we are going to keep going. So this book, what did you want people to walk away with, with these five regrets? What were you hoping was going to be
1: received?
0: Well, at the time I was writing it, I really only had about 300 followers. So, and and I've never really gone for quantity. I've always just gone for quality in my audience. You know, Even on social media, I really don't have a huge following, but they're super, super loyal. So I was really just writing it for those few hundred people who had transitioned from my music onto my blog. And what I wanted, and it's always been my message, I want people to understand that life is a short and precious gift, that they are unique and have something to contribute, and that the lessons we're given to us are given to us from a place of love to bring us into our best self. And so those sort of three things are just how I live my life. And, and that's what I wanted to share on that. It can be really hard to let go of the resistance to your potential and your resistance to receiving. But life is trying to bless us and life is short. Whether you live to 30, 50 or 90 or 100, not every, but many of the people I looked after, more people than not, said to me, I just cannot believe it's over, that I have lived for 80 years or 70 years or 90 years. I can't believe it has gone so fast and that it's over. And so for me, I'm trying to say to people, don't just wait for the big things to happen. Life is actually now and there's so much beauty in the day-to-day that you might have your big five or ten things happen in your life, but don't just keep aiming for those. Like be as present as possible as you can for your life right now because otherwise you are going to regret it. You're going to look back and think, holy dooly, I I didn't even pay attention. Yeah. It's
3: so beautiful. So do you mind if we go into these five regrets because they're so important? I feel like this is like the Ten Commandments. I mean I just feel like these are just such important (laughs) truths. So I I have them written here and I know them. I recite them all the time, but why don't you take us through them? Well, let's just go
0: through the five and maybe we can talk a little bit about each one. So yeah, the most common regret was people wishing that they'd lived a life true to themselves, not a life that other people expected of them. And it's the most common because I, you know, I heard it more than everything else. And to the point that after hearing it two or three times, I thought, I need to start paying attention here. This is a conversation we've had before, that I've, that I've had before. And it came from different angles and different um, situations, but it still came down to that. And the first person who said it to me, who's one of my favorites and is still, seems to be one of the reader favorites as well, is the sweet little lady called Grace. And she had lived in a very unhappy marriage for well over 50 years. She came from a generation that never left their marriage. And even when I asked her why not, she said, well, what would the neighbours think? You know, it was very much about that. And she wanted to travel. Her husband didn't want to travel. She called him a tyrant. You know, she and the whole family said the same. Her adult children said, oh, he, he treated her very badly and he was a tyrant. And then he went into a nursing home and so the next day she was straight off to the travel agent picking up brochures for bus tours around Australia. That's all she wanted to do was travel Australia. And But within three weeks of him going into the nursing home, she started getting really sick and it turned out to be stage four lung cancer. She'd never smoked. He'd smoked in the house all his life. And she probably went to the doctors two more times after that and then then I got called in and she was, in palliative care at home and so she never got anywhere she didn't even get out of Sydney at the time that's where we were all these stories were Sydney or Melbourne I was trying to get going with my music at the time and I was playing her songs and stuff I'd take her my guitar along to work and in her home in her bedroom and uh, she squeezed my hand really tight one day and just said just promise me Bronnie promise this dying lady that you will have the courage to live the life your heart calls you to. Don't live the life that others expect of you like I have. She's in tears and I'm in tears. And, yeah, and I do. I I promised her and, and I promised myself at the time. And thank goodness I did, Kathy, because living a life true to yourself takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage. And you've got to break through so much resistance and break free of the opinions of others. and it does take a lot of work and it's easier to quit, but oh my goodness, when you get through the other side of it, like I do now and live completely on my own terms, it's such a gift of freedom to ourselves.
3: I mean, those who are listening don't know that I'm like crying this whole time, but I'm sure people at home are crying listening to this, you know, just that line, well, what would the neighbors think, you know, and then here she is and none of that matters. Right. None of it matters. Yeah. They're going
0: to die too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. They're just people trying to do their best. We're all, we're all just trying to do our best, but, but some of them are doing it asleep and some of us are doing it awake. Yeah. And you know,
3: I love, we're going to talk about the other four, but really so much of them are related to that idea of living authentically, you know, in different ways. Mm. So the second one I wish I didn't work so hard. What do you remember about that? Obviously, there's so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, the summary of it is that people realized their whole identities were caught up in their work. And then when their work was taken away from them, they had nothing left. And so they were wishing that they'd actually created some sort of balance, not that life is a straight balance and you ever have it completely balanced forever. The minute you've got a balance, it's, you know, changes again. But just wishing that they had given more time to other areas of their life that brought them joy as well and not using work as their whole identity, which is what, you know, a lot of people do. And then if that's taken away, which especially during this year with COVID, there's been so many massive changes, if that career is the carpet's pulled out from under you, who are you without that job? And that was what created the regrets mostly was because They didn't know who they were without the work. They hadn't developed the relationships with their friends or with their family that they wished they had because everything was caught up in their work and goal setting and and achieving and achieving and achieving and and not actually having any sense of self outside of that. Mm,
3: And it's so important and it's interesting. It's a little bit of a slippery slope because I was going to commend you and I feel that this is what I've been aspiring to do, like to follow in your footsteps is to do work that feels so much more just like who I am than a job. So therefore it doesn't feel like work. It feels like to oh. me just living my life. Like right now, the fact that I get to do this podcast and that this is my work, it's like, this is a dream. You know, I'm sitting with you is. It's like opening up a gift. It's Christmas morning.
0: And for so me too, two lovely women that get to have a yarn. Yeah. It's great. I
3: mean, right. It doesn't feel like work at all. That's right. right. So part of the gift that I got from your work was, you know, and that's why I said, I, I, I credit you in so many ways for me starting this show called don't keep your day job. Like don't just do a day job, like live your life. Right. So get paid to, to do you, whether you're sculpting or painting or writing or, or whatever you're teaching something. And where I said, it's a slippery slope is because we still live in this culture, which is so achievement oriented that I do love what I do. And I don't think of it as a job. I don't. And yet it's very, very seductive to constantly work on the next book right? Which I'm working on now. We're shooting a TV series. I know you have 25 million downloads. How about 50 million? How about a hundred? Right? So I think we're all susceptible to that. And that's such an easy way to take us out of being present and living our life. So what do you do about that part when you're not necessarily working hard at something you don't enjoy that feels like work you're doing things that you love and yet you're so clear how much of a gift every day is so do you find time to
0: sit in that Uh, i've let go of the striving i after my daughter was born um which is actually my third book um i was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and so i ended up on a, a really big health journey and that taught me to slow down and and not be striving so much and not be pushing and what i came to realize and this is now how i live which allows me not to have to always be looking at the next thing is that the more space we create to just be present and do things that we love like go for a bike ride or sit out in the sun with the dog or whatever like things that aren't actually achieving things you know officially achieving the more you actually honour those gifts of space, get offline and just be with life, the more shortcuts life gives. And so I've actually developed this habit and this is how I live now because I've realised, okay, I might want to do this project. My human mind can think of 20 steps to get to that goal. But if I get my human mind out of the way sometimes and don't push and force it, and just keep doing one step at a time, one step at a time, but allow my honor the other parts of myself and get outside and enjoy the sunshine and do other things that are fun, take the school holidays off with my daughter, things like that. Then life actually will introduce me to someone or give me a contact or give me an idea, or a stranger will say one sentence in a random conversation, casual conversation. And I'll think, oh my goodness, I've just jumped five steps. I don't need to do all those steps. Now I know how to arrive at this step. So that's what I do. I've practised it and it's become part of my lifestyle that people often say to me, you must be so busy. I'm not busy. I'm full. My calendar is full, but that includes me having time for me every single day. And as a single mum, you know, living with chronic pain and running this global career, that's a pretty good achievement, in itself. Yeah. So I
3: reckon. Oh my God. Yeah, this is becoming, as we speak. This is like my favorite conversation
2: I've ever had. Powerful. I love everything about this conversation. But before we go on, I just want to thank our sponsors. You've probably been hearing about the Great Resignation not only on this show but all over the news, and. We're in an era where people are looking for ways to work that actually fill them with a sense of joy and purpose. Building a business is a path to building the life you want and you don't have to make that journey alone. Zen business is your trusted guide, giving you essential skills and resources to help you start and grow your business while balancing your well-being. One thing that holds people back from starting a business is the belief that you have to be an expert at everything, but that's just not true. There's Zen business to make the business stuff easier so that you can stay focused on your passion. They help you with fast, low cost filing to get your formation done as quickly and easily as possible with no hidden fees. And they also provide you with a team of experts ready to help you throughout the life of your company. You have access to registered agent service to handle all correspondence with the secretary of state or other agencies to make sure you're following all the necessary procedures and rules. I love that Zen business has a really simple pricing structure with different tools and services and you can choose from those to start your business. I know that it can be super overwhelming when you're first building and you might not have the funds to pay for a ton of services, but this way you can pick what you need for now and then add more when you need to reach the next step. Zen Business is also a great resource to educate yourself on creating and running a business. They have blogs and articles on topics like how to understand your market, a glossary of business terms for entrepreneurs, a list of resources for small business and women in business. It's so important to be resourceful and use what's available to you. So definitely check it out. Zen Business has helped hundreds of thousands of people get their business off the ground by guiding them every step of the way and making it easier to launch a successful business. Get started today for as low as $49 at zenbusiness.com slash dreamjob. That's zenbusiness.com slash dreamjob. Have you ever heard all the gimmicks that promise a great night's sleep? I don't really care what kind of toppers there are or how heavy a blanket may be because sometimes that's just putting lipstick on a pig. Bottom line is, if you're sleeping on a terrible mattress, your sleep will be terrible it's that simple. That's why I recommend sleeping on a purple mattress. Only purple mattresses have the Gel Flex grid. It's a super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. The Gel Flex grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs while cushioning your shoulders, neck, and hips, no matter how you sleep. I love my purple mattress so much. It's so comfy and it keeps me at the perfect temperature at night. Plus it bounces back if I move around so I don't have to worry about that feeling of I'm stuck. You know, you get that sometimes with memory foam. Try your purple mattresses risk-free with free shipping and returns. Financing is available too. Getting a great night's sleep starts with having a great mattress. Get a purple mattress. Go to purple.com slash dreamjob10 and use code dreamjob10. For a limited time, you can get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash dreamjob 10 Code DREAMJOB10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash DREAMJOB10. Promo code DREAMJOB10. Terms apply.
3: Okay. The third regret is I wish I'd had the courage to express
2: my feelings.
0: Oh, so what did you hear? What do you remember about that? Well, this is the one that affected me the most because at that time I, I had some pretty big walls up around myself and I was not expressing my own feelings at all. So I really paid attention to this one. And my favourite story from this is with Joseph, who's with, an elderly man, 91. He was a Holocaust survivor. He'd worked all his life. And at the end he was in tears with me. His family didn't want him to know he was dying He knew he was dying and he asked me, am I dying? And I said, yes, Joseph, you are. And his family just kept pretending he wasn't bringing in massive meals when all he really wanted was, you know, five grapes or something like that. And, you know, I I don't want to judge anyone because I don't know how they even survived getting through what they got through. But in the end, he was in tears to me. I was giving a foot massage, which I used to do a lot with my, my patients. And he was in tears and he just said, they don't know me. They don't even know me. And, you know, they don't know me at all. And I said, well, you know, maybe do you want me to bring them in here and let let them join this conversation? Oh, no, it's it's too hard now. It's too late now. And I said, but, you know, I can open the conversation for you if you need. No, it's too late. And, you know, he's sobbing in my arms, this 91-year-old man who's been through all of that and just felt that he couldn't express his feelings to his family and he'd never been able to. He just, um, his love was a practical love of providing and and looking after his children, teaching them very well about money and, you know, so they'd always be safe and secure, which they were, but it was heartbreaking to have a 91-year-old man sobbing, saying, my family don't know me at all and I don't know how to talk to them about that and not wanting to, not having... The courage to at that point or
3: the or the energy to as well yeah I mean it's amazing how many people are listening right now how many people live on our streets and they haven't said what they actually need to say to people they pass in the hallway in their own home every single day you know yeah or someone like a father or a mother they haven't spoken to, or someone they see every Christmas or Thanksgiving or their boss or their child. And it's like the bandwidth that that takes, you know, and the fact that you did this for years and you picked five things and that this is one of the five means you heard this so often, you know? So the hope is that and, it, and it's already happening over and over and over again is that people who read your work and listen to you and follow you, hopefully they make that change so that they're not sitting there in that moment the way Joseph was.
0: Yeah, and it is freeing. I mean, I've worked through that now and I am really honest and I show my vulnerabilities and I, I just say what I, whatever I need to now. And when I think of how much work it was to protect my heart and keep quiet compared to how flowing and free it is. Once you break, you know, you chip away at that wall and dismantle it. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful just to be human and let people see who you are. Yeah.
3: And the fourth one to me is interesting because it was, I didn't expect it in the list. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. That's the one that I don't know. I just didn't think that that would be in the top five because the other ones have to do with actualizing self and feelings. And, and of course people spend too much time at work. And then it was like, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. What was that about? What were people
0: saying to you? Why did friendship come up? Mm, Okay. So a lot of the people I looked after were say i did look after some younger people in 30s 40s 50s 60s but a lot of them were in their 70s and 80s and 90s and so they had a lot of them had adult children but they were still a parent and so when the adult children know someone remember these are people who knew they were dying the family knew they were dying they'd employed a carer to look after their mother or father for the last weeks so the subject of death was lingering there quite heavily but the dying person was still a parent and so they were worried about the grief they were causing their children and often their adult children and grandchildren, but often the children were already grieving and, and tearing up and being sad every single time they'd come to see the, the person lying in bed. And the person lying in bed is feeling like such a nuisance and a, an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. When they don 't want to burden their children, their parents, they want to still keep looking after their children, but all they 're feeling is what a burden they are, and they just want to get it over with so their kids can get on with their life. But then a friend comes in, and especially old friends who have memories from of before that person became a parent, or even if they 're friends of twenty years and and it was after their their kids had left home, friends just allowed the dying person to just be themselves and not actually be a parent worrying about their kids or their grandkids or whatever. And so friends often had a lot more laughter and giggles and funny stories with the dying patient, you know, even if their heart was breaking and everything else the dying person didn't feel the responsibility for their friends that they felt for their their family. Mm. And also when someone's dying and they can't get outside, they can't go down the street, they just want some day-to-day, not gossip but feedback of what's going on out in the world today, like Mm. is it busy over in Bridge Road or where have you been today or, you know, whatever. And so friends just bring a lightness to those last weeks, that family can't. And sometimes when someone knew they were dying, they were wanting particular friends and they couldn't find those friends or the friend had died or they had disconnected or fallen out with that friend and didn't know how to start looking for that friend. And so that's when they wished they were there because they just wanted to keep living until they died and they just wanted the dynamics that only a friend can bring.
3: Oh, that's so beautiful. And you know, as I, as you were explaining it, it just reminded me that it is not surprising now because remember I was saying, Oh, I didn't understand it. So many other things were about sort of actualizing who you're supposed to be and yourself, but it's like, no, that makes sense. Because again, the friend it's for you, right? It's not an expectation, right? It's the icing on the cake. Like your kids are the greatest, most important thing you do, right? And there's such expectation you have of yourself, of who you want to be. And they have demands of you and it's normal Mm -hmm. and it's healthy and it requires a lot. And your spouse requires a lot and they have expectations and you have expectations, but your friends, that is the part Mm -hmm. that is about you actualizing self. It's about receiving. It's almost like, All of these have something to do with letting yourself receive, right? Yes. Doing more of what you want and not what everybody else, not working so hard that you actually stop to enjoy your life, having the courage to say what you feel, which is such a gift you give yourself, obviously also for others, but for yourself and the friends, it makes so much sense. I never thought that thought cuz I yeah. don't think about this a lot what someone's going through in those in those last moments but
0: as you described it of course it feels so much lighter yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and I mean even as mums or business women we can catch up with other business women or we can catch up with other mums in the playground and we make friends with other mums and everything else but when you go out just with with a girlfriend just you know one of your mates you know female or male just someone who's just a mate you're just you and every Friday I go out to lunch with a positive friend that's the deal I made myself a few years ago and I don't I work Friday morning but I never work from lunchtime Friday every Friday no matter what because then I remember who I am as me as Bronnie, not as Bronnie the public person not as Bronnie the mum not as Bronnie right battling you know healing disease whatever i'm just brawny, you know the dag the the uncool goofy thing just going out with friends and so yeah it's for you it's and it fulfills a need that nothing else can
2: oh, so good there's a few more things i want to get into but let's just thank our sponsor Today's episode is sponsored by GoodRx. With GoodRx, you can instantly compare prices for your prescription at every pharmacy in your neighborhood and save up to 80%. Many times, the price you find on GoodRx will beat your insurance or Medicare copay price. So even if you have insurance, you should go check GoodRx to see if you can get a lower price. GoodRx is free and easy to use, and it's the number one most downloaded medical app. I've used GoodRx to find better prices for things like cold medicine and headache relief. It's really straightforward. I just type in the name of the prescription and they show me a breakdown of which pharmacies have a better deal. So I've been able to save like 70% compared to what I would have paid if I went to my usual pharmacy. It's such a helpful tool, especially since a lot of us in the States are already paying so much for healthcare. To start saving up to 80% on your prescriptions today, go to GoodRx.com slash DreamJob. That's GoodRx.com dot com slash dream job to start saving up to 80% on your prescriptions. GoodRx is not insurance, but can be used instead of insurance. In 2020, GoodRx users received an average savings of 79% of retail prices.
3: The last one, this ties in so well with everything we've just been discussing about it, which is, I wish I'd let myself be happier. And what did you hear about that? And then why don't we?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, Sometimes, well, too often, we just keep living our lives according to other people's expectations, but we take their opinions on and judge ourselves that way as well. So one of my patients had divorced really early. She'd actually left domestic violence, but in her era, divorce was a scandal to the family. So she had shamed her family, moved from rural Victoria in Australia to Melbourne, the capital city of that state and she just gone straight up the corporate ladder and worked and worked and worked to prove to herself that she was worth something and had become a ceo long before women were becoming ceos and was in such a different in a very masculine world but she didn't realize that it was only her parents opinion and she just carried that shame all the way through until we started spending time together and she actually said to me, why are you always so happy? Because I was humming and and <laughs> she said, tell me to be quiet. Stop stop humming. You're always so happy. Why are you so happy? And I'd just say, oh, you're a grumpy bum and, you know, just give her a hard time. And and she chilled out a bit. You know, she chilled out a lot. We actually grew really close. So, yeah. and And so what she had realised was that happiness is a choice. So it doesn't mean that you deny the hard times. The hard times are how we grow and how we learn. We we learn by our mistakes and, and that's how we grow. But we always have the choice on how long we stay wallowing in that and how much focus we give to the hard stuff. Say when I was first diagnosed with disease and I had I was a single mum, newborn baby, and I was in crippling pain, I could couldn't even dress myself properly. I could focus on that or I could look out the window and think, What a beautiful day today. Look at the sun shining or sit and watch a bird flying around or something like that. And in that moment, I wasn't caught up in the hard stuff. I had chosen happiness in that moment that I chose to focus on something that lifted my heart. So by focusing on a bird or or focusing on something that made me happy, it wasn't denying the suffering but it was choosing happiness. And what Rosemary, that patient, realised was that that she hadn't chosen happiness. She had just carried the weight of her parents' judgment that she didn't deserve happiness and had come to the conclusion that she didn't deserve happiness. And so her whole life she's trying to prove herself through her career instead of actually saying, wow, well done, I left a violent marriage at a time when no one else had the guts to do it, I deserve to celebrate my life now. And instead she's like 86 years old and realizing, oh, I'm actually a good person. I deserve to be happy.
3: I mean, you just packed so much in there, including your own experience and having had three kids. I can't imagine having the newborn and all that comes with that and also being diagnosed and not being able to get dressed in this way where things feel painless and then to choose to look at the sunlight and there is just a a whole dance we do with suffering and Gay Hendricks taught me, he said, you know, how happy are you willing to be? Yeah. you know, It's up to you. And I'm like, wait, that's a choice. No. Don't you know my reasons? Don't you? He's like, okay. So you're not that willing. It's fine.
4: <laughs> you're just not <laughs> that willing to be happy.
3: Right. <laughs> And, uh, and it is amazing. It it, is fabulous. He's fabulous. Yeah. He's been here twice and both of the conversations about the big leap and then his newest book, you know, your genius zone. It comes back to exactly what you just said. It's like the ultimate upper limit is how happy we're willing to be and how much we're willing to receive. And we tend to think we have no control over that. And so this kind of is a nice way to segue into what I wanted to talk about after we went through those five beautiful regrets, which is, so how can we now take that and do some kind of an audit and then make a different choice
0: so that we, we okay. don't wind up there? Sure. We'll face the fact that you're going to die, that you're going to die. Simple as that talk about death and face the fact that death isn't something that's just going to come along one day in your 90s. You, you really could, especially, you know, death's been in our face a lot more with COVID, but you are going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. So when you actually face that and really look at it and consider, you know, spend time with that and think, okay, I am on finite time here. My time is winding down oh, okay, I don't actually have forever to get around to what I want to do. I may never get enough time to do everything I want to do, but if I don't start taking one step towards the dream that's biggest in my heart right now, then I may let life slip by and I'm going to regret it. So when you realise that you are dying, that every single day you live is one day less of your life, you know the clock's ticking down and and i but use it in a positive way like rather than that being yes. like oh you know okay i've left it too late it's like okay i'm on limited time here I'm going to get on with this. And what it does is when you use death as a tool for living, it gives you the courage to get on with it. And you don't always need to know. Well, we we never know all the steps. We think we do, but life will always throw a twister in there somewhere. So as long as we can deal with the step in front of us and then have the courage and the faith to surrender into the journey and to say, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do all this, but right now this is something I can do. I don't want to waste another day dreaming about this. This is one step I know I can take. I'm going to take that step and be in it fully, and then I'll think about the next step, or then I'll trust that the next step will reveal itself. Yeah. So use death as a tool for living. That's the best summary of all of it.
3: Oh, it's so good. My rabbi says there's nothing like a good funeral. You know, he's (laughs) like, i come back from a funeral, and I just feel like so clear, so clear, right? Like, okay, this is what is let's go. And that's what you're saying. And the truth is that even if God willing people who are listening, even if you and I are going to be here till 120, you just said it goes so fast and it does. And you blink and you're 82 and you're like, what? That was short, you know? And it is, I just got my daughter off at kindergarten and I'm 42. And I'm like, I moved to LA when I was 23 what on earth has happened? Right? Yes. Like, this is like, she's my youngest, right? So my oldest is soon going to have a bat mitzvah. And I'm like, how is this me? I'm middle age, right? Like looking at my hands and looking at my face. So it's, it's short no matter what. Here's the thing, Bronnie, and I want to know what you think about this. So the two things that come up for our audience that would stop them from even you having this conversation One of them is, and we'll talk about both. I want to hear your thoughts is imposter syndrome. Okay. It's, I agree with Bronnie. I am in awe of her. Everything she says, I am saying yes, but she doesn't know me and she doesn't know I'm not equipped. She doesn't know that what I would create or what I would do, I would mess it up. I am mediocre. And I don't think she gets like, There is a dream in my heart, but I'm not Oprah or Beyonce or Serena Williams. I don't have that ability. And, and I'm, why would I write a song? Why would I quit my job and open a, an ice cream shop just because I have that stupid thought because I wouldn't be great at it. And nobody wants to hear from me and nobody wants to buy from me. And nobody wants to see what I only see, which I am some version of not enough.
0: Okay. Well, I'd be looking at that person in the mirror and giving her a really big hug and just saying, actually, sweetheart, you are, you are enough. That that's just a dialogue. And if I need to list it all, you know, I'm, well, it's, it's all in the book anyway. Well, actually, it's not to to the full extent. I've been hungry. I've been homeless. I've, you know, grown up with being abused verbally abused physically abused by my father being told I'd never amount to anything I'm worthless I'm just a an effing dreamer you know all these things so I've come from all of that as well and so but the difference between me and them is that I face the fact that I'm going to die that's the only difference is that I have faced the fact that I'm going to die and that has given me the courage to actually take the steps because I've witnessed the pain of regret mm-hmm. and even if I don't achieve every dream I have in my lifetime, at least I know I've given it a go. As far as the imposter thing goes, there is an audience for everybody. So some people will relate to me. Other people will say, yeah, I don't really like her accent or I don't really like her right. voice or I don't get why she's laughing at that point. Then there will be other people saying, oh, listen to that chuckle, I get where she, what she's laughing at. So. There's an audience for everybody who just relates with your use of language, how you express yourself. You might be able to deliver some really complicated theme and they've heard this theme over and over again. It might be, say, I don't know, surrender. They might be trying so hard to master surrender or trust or whatever and they're reading the books and they're doing all the work and then you, that one person, might state it in two sentences and they say, oh now I get it. Yeah. And, and that's why you have to do it. You're not an imposter. You just have to get out there for the people that need your voice. Mm.
3: It's so wise. And I want to just highlight again, something you just said, which even though we, you shared five of these regrets, the word regret, what you just said was I've seen and experienced what regret looks like. And that's why. And even though you went through those beautiful, beautiful, powerful five things, I want to ask you what it looks like when someone is filled with regret, because I have not spent the time you spent staring that in the face. And I do imagine that the level of which you've seen it, what you just said is, no, you don't understand.
0: Regret is not something you want. No. No it's utterly heartbreaking to witness the level of anguish and heartache that people go through when they realize they've got to the end of their life and there's not a thing they can do to change the regrets they now have because they're too tired the people have died they don't have the courage but mostly because they're exhausted and they and they just all they have energy to is be helped onto the commode, really, and to lie down again, and to talk with whoever's sitting beside them. And when they realise that that their life has been shaped by the choices that they've made or the choices that they haven't made, yeah. that is utterly, utterly heartbreaking. And it's absolute despair, despair and anguish. I guess are probably the two words which would sum it up most, most precisely, and, and most briefly. It is utter despair and anguish because there's nothing they can do at that point except learn to live with it because they're going to die with it.
3: And I just want to ask, because I'm curious, was there a type of person or a group of people who had a sense of peace and What did they have in common, the people who were able to go into that next journey, into this quantum reality with some level of Mm. actual
0: peace? Yeah, there were some people that had incredible peace. There were more people had regrets than didn't, but then there were others who were just totally accepting of the life they've lived. What I started to notice about, about them was they usually had some form of faith not necessarily a religious faith, but, you know, some belong to religion, but some sort of faith in something beyond. They also had good communication with their children or um, they had good friends' networks and they had humour, Aussie humour. Yeah, well, I mean any any humour, but I only experienced the Aussie humour. So, yeah, they could still laugh at life and, um, and they could still crack jokes or they could still appreciate other people cracking jokes. So it was communication and humour and, and faith and, yeah, community.
3: Did you, and this is an, a question I don't think I've ever asked anyone on the podcast, but I'm curious if being in that environment, if you had any experience where you felt there was some something that you even witnessed, that you felt happened when the soul or whatever you want to call it, when the person is no longer in the body, right, and the life force leaves. Did you feel anything or witness anything that gave you some sense that there is a beyond? I'm just curious. Yes,
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, and I'm happy that you asked. Um, So my first, the first thing I noticed in my very first dying patient, remembering this is the first dead person I'd seen in my life as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'd never been around death, and I'd grown up on a farm, so I'd seen a lot of dead animals, but um, yeah, so it was my first experience of death, and the first thing that struck me was how empty the room felt once she was gone, like how empty her, her body felt once she was gone, and I just thought, wow, that's, like, what a life force each of us are. And when that life force is gone, is extracted from the body, and in this case it was like an extraction, Um, it was a a bit of a rough sort of transition in, in the body letting go. And, yeah, I just remember afterwards just thinking, wow, it's just so empty, like everything was so empty. So that struck me firstly just how big our life force actually is. But then one of my patients, beautiful woman, and she had a very strong faith and she was probably... One of the most conscious and awake people I'd met spiritually. She was in a coma and her husband was holding one hand, her son was holding another hand, and I was holding her foot. Just they wanted me in there and I just, you know, wanted to be near her. All those extremities were icy cold by then. The organs were shutting down and you always feel it in the hands and feet first. And she'd been in a coma overnight. I'd gone home, I finished my shifts were 8am to 8pm, I'd arrived back at 8am the next morning. She was in a coma before I'd left like five in the afternoon or something. I'd arrived back at eight o'clock the next morning. She's still in a coma. And then, you know, an hour or so later, we're sitting there chatting, just quietly chatting while she's, you know, unconscious there. She has just opened her eyes looked at, you know, where like the ceiling and the wall join, that sort of aspect. She's just looked at that part of the house. And and I will also add she had a cat sleeping. Her cat was called Yogi. He slept on her bed every day until two days, like wouldn't leave her bed until two days before, then he would not go near her bed. So the cat knew. And so she's looked up at this point in the ceiling and we've all looked like and there's nothing there, it's just the ceiling, and her eyes are open, like she's opened her eyes, but she's looked up there with this, the most joyful smile I'll probably ever know, and it was a look of recognition. She's just gone, oh, and, and it was just, it was joy, but it was also that big sigh of like, oh, my goodness, you know, and then her eyes have started rolling back in her, her head, her eyelids have closed, and she's just gone, oh, uh, that noise just that uh, and that was it she died and so for me because I didn't really know if she died or not because it was only my second patient so I'm trying to feel her heartbeat and my heartbeats beating out my chest and they're saying Is she gone Is she's gone and and uh yeah and then I just knew that she was gone because I felt that emptiness again that emptiness that I'd felt with the first the first patient and that Honestly, Kathy, I mean, that's just the look of joy on her face makes me think whatever we come from is going to be so beautiful to return to.
3: It's amazing. I feel like you've been given, like, it's so obvious. It doesn't even need to be said out loud, but whether you want to use the word, I would say the word God, but God, whatever creator is here, it's like chose you to be such a messenger and you do it so well. There's so much integrity and respect and kindness and love in the way that you embody all of this goodness. And it's, I just feel like I can't believe I had this seat today. Thank you so much. I mean, what is more important than this this is like Mozart. This is like listening to you is it's music and, and, you, and you make music. So before we get off, I just want to say Bronnie has written at least three books. You've probably written more than three books, right? Mm-hmm. But I know about three of the books.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on my first novel at the moment. So that will be well, it'll be my fourth that goes out into the world. The first book never went out into the world. Um, it's and I'm probably going to self-publish that. It's a photography and inspiration book. But yeah, so I wrote the top five regrets of the dying, and I and I will say if people have just read the five bullet points and think that's enough, there's so much more to the book than than that. You
3: have to read it, everybody. It's required. <laughs> We're going to put the link in the show notes, and really do yourself a paper, favor. And I would encourage you to get one for yourself and one for someone else and and then discuss it with that person, honestly.
0: Yeah, yeah. It it is a conversation that needs to be had in this this era that we're living in. Um, My second book is a collection of short stories, 52 short stories around regret-free living. I had the baby then and I just had to, I could only do short stories. And uh, we were going to do 50, but Fifty Shades of Grey was coming out around that time. (laughs) So my my publishers said, let's stay away from 50. Right. So that's how it became Your Year for Change, like one story a week, 52 stories. And then my third book, which actually picks up Where Five Regrets Finished, it's a second memoir, which I certainly didn't plan on writing, but it just came out and it's called Bloom and it's a tale about courage and surrender, breaking through your upper limits. And it's really about not just about my journey with disease but also learning to trust in the timing. I wanted my house on the hill before I was ready for my house on the hill. So there's sort of a, a few theme, story themes in there about going for dreams but then actually learning to surrender and trusting that life is on my side. And, yeah, so Your Year for Change is actually some of my readers' favourite, even though it's the least known of all three books. Some of my readers just adore it. Bloom has really helped a lot of people as well, but Five Regrets is, you know, it's a big one. There's movie rights sold and, you know, it's in 32 languages and stuff. So it's the big one. So at least start there. And and I have a couple of online courses as well. We've got my two courses, which is um, Regret Free and Loving It and Write for Delight, which is just to help people get through their fear of writing.
3: We're going to put the links in the show notes, but can you just say what the URL is so people can go?
0: Yeah, so it's it's BronnieWear.com. So Bronny, like Bonnie with an R in it, Bronny, and then Wear like Warehouse or Aware. Yeah, Aware is probably better. Yeah. That's the. You go to com,
3: you can find the courses there and we'll put course, the show yeah. notes, we'll put the links there. And your music, is
0: your music available? Yeah, for- yeah. So my music's on Apple Music and Spotify. I can't play anymore. My fingers um, are are disabled now because of RA, but I still am so proud of my my music and some of those songs are likely to end up in the Five Regrets movie, so it's a full circle. You know, it's just a beautiful full circle.
3: Every (laughs) single thing you say, I feel like the gates of heaven open and there's like a whole other Herculean thing that you've just done or just said as if you just said you went to get groceries and this movie when is this movie going to be coming out
0: i don't know it's been a bit of a journey um there's a really beautiful script has been developed there's been some hiccups along the way but i always believe good things take time and uh yeah they're working on it in the background all the time but production hasn't started none of that it's not up to there yet
3: well here's what i know is that The amount of people who are in that next dimension who are acting on your behalf and sending you the most incredible, just angelic support. I mean, I can't even imagine how much, because that is the kind of gift that you can't repay somebody for that kind of a gift, right? When you're there for someone in those moments and just how that creates for you, this portal of blessing around you. I can't even imagine like how great that blessing is that you carry all around you. And what an example you are for your child. It's just all so amazing. So we're going to send everyone to brawnyware.com. You can follow her on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, you must share this with a friend and go get two copies of the book today just take that step buy a copy for yourself buy a copy for your best friend for your mom for whoever it is and say hey i think it might be a good idea for us to read this book and talk about it so thank you so much for coming i am changed from having this conversation with you and uh it's just
0: not something i really have the words for but i loved every second of it thank you kathy me too it's been a blessing and an honor thank you thank you wow
2: so, so powerful. Here are some of the takeaways. Number one, we don't know the seeds we sow, but we have to sow them regardless and keep growing into our readiness. They'll bloom in their own time. Number two, life is a short and precious gift. Don't wait for the big things to happen. Life is now. Number three, have the courage to live the life your heart calls you to. Number four, give time to the areas of your life that bring you joy. The more space we create to be present and do things we love and honor those gifts of space, the more shortcuts life gives you. Number five, it takes a lot of bandwidth to protect your heart and keep quiet. Free yourself and say what you need to say. Let people see who you are. Number six, happiness is a choice. Number seven, use death as a tool for life, for living. Realize that you're on finite time and start taking one step toward the dream that's biggest in your heart. Don't let life slip by. And number eight, wherever we come from is going to be so beautiful when we return. Thank you so much for being here, but really for actually being here. I can feel the way you listen and you show up, and it's really something. I know that you have also so much going on with the holidays around the corner, and it means the world that you're here. Some of my favorite guests are coming on the show. Daniel Pink will be back, Donald Miller, Malcolm Gladwell, and we have a few more surprises up our sleeves. So make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you're listening. And did this episode touch you? Can you think of one person who could benefit? If there's someone in your life who you think would be inspired by this, if the answer is yes to that, share it with them right now. And you can also post about this episode on your Instagram or Facebook and tag me and I will reshare maybe even share one thing that you got from this. Share a little video in your Instagram stories, and I'll repost them so Bronnie can see them too and Lastly, I'm doing a intimate retreat in South Florida in February. It's gonna be a three day powerful experience. This will be such a big way to start 2022. If you want to apply, applications are due by December 22nd. You can go to kathyhoward.com slash ready. I love you. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you on Thursday.
3: The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.
4: Same on Santa's list The streets are all filled with carols We deck the halls in every language You can hear the joy in everything we do So light it up, light it up all around the world Pass it on, pass it on, every boy and girl
0: Spread the love,
4: spread the happy holiday.